We've been doing Old Testament passages, and last week Alona shared with us a story of Naomi and Ruth. This morning, as we continue this foundational series on these Old Testament scriptures that help us understand how to live our lives, we're turning the foundation series into the final part in which we looked at some ancient texts and how they gave us the foundation of faith, and we looked at Abraham and how he and Sarah become the foundation, the parents of our faith, and now we're looking at what I would call Old Testament heroes, even though, please remember with me, whenever we talk about the heroes of the Scripture, there is only one hero, and that hero is God. Everyone else is a failed person. (laughs) We're all failed individuals, whether today trying to serve God the best as we can or in biblical times. And so this morning, we're turning our attention to Esther. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Esther chapter 4. I'll be reading from verses 13 through 17. If you have the handouts that are in the bulletin, you will see that I put the text at the top of the handout if you wish to use it to follow along. Mordecai comes to Esther and says these words, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them, go and reply to Mordecai and say these words, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast and do the same. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This morning is Mother's Day, and I chose a text in which I would like us to not talk about mothers in particular, but all relationships. What does it mean to have healthy, Christian, godly relationships? I chose the text of Esther because I did want to have an Old Testament woman who um, can model for us not so much that she had healthy relationships, but she was able to develop what it means to have healthy relationships with other people. And as I said, we are doing this Old Testament foundational series, and she becomes really one of those Old Testament Heroes in the small sense, with God remaining the hero of the text. What I also want us to understand is that Esther had a transformation in her life, the same transformation that we all need to have. I'm not going to go so far as to say she was narcissistic, because she wasn't, but she was self-centered. And if you read her story and understand that she goes from self-centeredness to valued relationships, you will see the transformation that takes place throughout her story in the book of Esther. And so as such, the mistakes that she made are helpful for us to learn in every single relationship we have. One of the things I'm fond of saying is all relationships are the same, and they are. All of our relationships are the same. And I'll tell you the secret. You know usually the three people who are at fault in any relationship? Me, myself, and I. Let's say it together. 
Me, myself, and I. Or as my mother used to say, Stanley, when you're pointing a finger at someone else, three are pointing back. Me, myself, and I. Let's not forget that. In the Old Testament, Esther has become the queen of Persia. And as the queen of Persia, she has sort of a secret that the king doesn't know. She's Jewish. And as a Jewish young woman, living in the kingdom, she doesn't think it's really that big of a deal that she needs to reveal that until one day a plot comes from a guy named Haman and they're going to wipe out all the Jews in the kingdom. Now, if we were a synagogue, we would know this story really well because within Judaism, because of the Holocaust and because of the ways in which Jews have been persecuted over the centuries, and then especially with the Holocaust, this has become a favorite text because here you have in the Old Testament somebody trying to wipe out Judaism. And God is faithful. And you can imagine in the midst of World War II with Adolf Hitler how important this passage was for people to read and to realize that God is faithful. If he did it before, as the song we sang earlier, he'll do it again. And even today, it continues to be a beloved passage. But we tend in the Christian church not to have Esther as prominent as I think it should be in our scriptures and how we preach it and teach it and talk about it. So I also encourage you, in the week ahead. I know David did a challenge where he challenged people to read through James. Well, Esther is another short book of the Bible. Read through it. Read through it a number of times. Just read this woman's story and read how God changes her heart and does something remarkable through her. And how what I would say is her relationship with her people. That's what I'm looking at. How she ultimately relates to her Jewish brothers and sisters and how that will translate into how you and I build all of our relationships with everyone else. And the first thing that she needed to learn, that we needed, need to learn, is what I like to call terminal uniqueness. It's something that we all suffer from. I know you didn't expect to be diagnosed this morning, but Dr. Stan, the pastor, is telling you the terminal uniqueness is a problem in all of our lives Mordecai comes to Esther in verse 13 and says these words, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape more than all of the other Jews. You see, Esther thought because she was the queen, she was different. I'm the queen. That gives me special status. We do the same thing in our life. We have something in our head that makes us think that somehow we must be different. The rules for everyone else don't apply to us, or we have a tougher lot than someone else. I think the terminal uniqueness is one of the worst afflictions that we can have. And when untreated spiritually in our lives, when we live in a state of terminal uniqueness, we bring chaos everywhere we go. And so Esther had to deal with that. And that's why Mordecai gave her those words. Don't think that you're special, Queen Esther. Don't think that there's going to be a persecution and every Jewish person is going to die and somehow you're going to escape. You hear the uniqueness of what this woman thought and how she viewed herself as different? Well, terminal uniqueness really comes to us in two forms. The first one is full-blown ego. This is where we somehow think we're better than everyone else. Now, I joke with David, who tells me a lot of times that I need to use illustrations from pop culture, so I've really tried hard. Like, I think we used Andy Griffith one time. 
I'm saving up my Hogan's Heroes stories. I know I've talked about the Waltons because John Boy is one of my favorites. Well, this morning I've got another one. How many of us remember Bewitched? Look at that, okay? If I take a modern, sto- a modern TV show, I haven't heard of it, but Bewitched, get, get those hands up again. Look at that. Okay, there's a whole lot of us who know that story. Well, in Bewitched, Samantha is having her first baby, and she's in the hospital. And we all remember her mother's name. Let's see if we got it. Esmeralda. Very good. Do we remember, the, do we remember her father's name? Maurice. Good. Who did that? You get an A. Whoever it was gets an A. Maurice. Now, the story never quite tells us because these, they, they're like ancient. They've like lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it seems that they are separate or they're divorced at this point, but they both have a relationship with Samantha. And so they come to the hospital to see the new baby. And Maurice has a problem. When he gets to the hospital, these are in the days when you don't get to bring the child out when everybody you know, comes to visit. So they're at the nursery and everybody's standing there, all the different families, and they're all looking, and they're looking at the babies that are born. And everyone's looking at their own child or grandchild or niece or nephew and talking about how great it is, and Maurice can't stand it. So he puts a cast or a spell on the Stevens baby. So everybody stands there and says, wow, our baby's cute, but look at that Stevens baby. And pretty soon the entire hospital basically shuts down because all the tension becomes on taking care of this one child because Maurice is convinced that his grandchild is more special than any other grandchild until finally he has to be convinced by Esmeralda to go make everything right the way every other Bewitched episode ends where everything goes back to normal. But what he represents to us is that idea of full-blown ego. We're better. Did I get the wrong name? That was just a test. (laughs) I got Maurice's name right. Full-blown ego. The other part of our terminal uniqueness is our full-blown insecurity. Our terminal uniqueness can also make us feel less than. That somehow... Everybody else has it figured out, and we don't. Somehow, everybody else has it better than we do. Their job, their marriage, their home, their situation, their spiritual life, and somehow we feel less than. It was a few years ago that I was over at Morton Park, and I was getting ready for a run. I think I was 58 years old at the time, and probably going to do about a three- or four-mile run, and feeling really good about myself, and I saw this guy who was just as fit as can be, and he looked older than me, and of course my crazy ego doesn't let me just be friends with somebody. I have to start asking questions. I discover his age. He's about 10 years older than me. I ask him what he does to stay in shape. He says, well, I run and I bike every day, and so now I'm feeling less than because I don't bike every day, but I'm trying to do the best I can to get my run in, and then I said, Shouldn't ask this question. And how far do you run every week? He goes, oh, like 45 miles. <sighs> I take a breath and I go, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> you run 45 miles, I'm thinking to myself, and you bike every day. And I said, um, 
Like today, how far did you run? He goes, oh, I don't know, like two miles. Oh, now I feel really lousy. Two miles today, that must mean he does to do like a 20-mile run. I said, and how many days a week do you run? He goes, oh, I don't do more than two or three. I go, that's it. In my mind, this guy rides a bike every day and does two 20-mile runs and two miles today, and he still has three more miles he needs to get worked in, and I do well to get my 20 miles in in a week. And I said, how do you do that? Like, your long run must be really far. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you only ran two miles today. How do you get those, all those miles in? He said, I said, I only run four to five miles a week. It is so easy to compare ourselves to others. It is so easy to think that we are better than or less than. That's what Esther was suffering from. We are no better. We are no worse. Our family is no better or no worse. Our children are no better or no worse. Our church is no better or no worse. Our job is no better or no worse. And everything else in our life is what? No better and no worse. That's what Esther needs to learn. In order for her to have a relationship, in order for her to be able to understand that she is Jewish and has a responsibility with her family and everyone she's related to the same as anyone else in her family, she needs to deal with her terminal uniqueness. And that's why the second thing, if we're going to have healthy relationships in our life, we not only need to deal with our terminal uniqueness, we also need to deal with our brutal honesty. And that means we need to let people be brutally honest with us. It does not mean that we get to walk out of worship on Sunday morning and say, Pastor Stan told me I can tell everybody else everything that they have wrong in their life. It's about us receiving from others. Verse 14 Mordecai, relative, probably a cousin, walks up to her and says, You know, Esther, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Do you hear the honesty there? You think you're saved because you're the queen. Now, let me really tell you what's going on here. If you do nothing, you're in danger. Esther is the only book in the Bible where God is never named. Never named. Name of God never appears in the book of Esther. But God's still the center of the text. God is everywhere in the book of Esther. And so Mordecai comes to her and warns with brutal honesty, you know, Esther, you will die and the Jews will be delivered without you, but you and your family aren't going to make it. Every single one of us needs somebody or somebody's in our life who can be brutally honest with us that we can be open and vulnerable with and say, tell me the truth. I think of two women in my Lincoln, Rhode Island church who were brutally honest with me and both were good friends and how helpful it was in my life. One was a woman named Linda who walked up to me one day and said, you know, Pastor Stan, you're always right. And I looked at her and I said, I'm not always right. And she goes, well, you certainly think you're always right. <laughs> Ba-boom. <laughs> I 
And then there was Dot, who when I was struggling, when feeling less than, because Regina and I were new parents, and our child, you can figure out which one was the older one, was a child at the time. And I always was interesting during children's message, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Knew what it was like to grab a microphone and become the center stage. But Dot always said to me, David's awesome, he's amazing, I love your son, he's great, he's terrific, he's wonderful. Every single time that he would do something that just made me feel like, man, I'm the worst father in the world, she'd always tell me how great my son was. So I called her up on the phone, and I said, I'd like to come and visit, and I sat down and I said, I just have one question, why is it that when my child makes me feel the worst, you always tell me how great he is? And she said, oh, you don't know my story, my two children died before they were five. She said, I guess I've just learned to value every child in this world. They're all perfect. They're all wonderful. And she said, and now my niece has a bad drug problem. And my sister and I are raising her daughter. Brutal honesty. We need people in our life who can say what they mean, mean what they say, and not be mean when they say it. People who can speak God's truth to us because if we're going to have godly, healthy relationships with our children, with our grandchildren, there I finally worked it in. I'm going to be a grandpa. Did I mention that to you? <laughs> that was the first of many, I promise you. <laughs> Dating relationships, co-workers. We need to deal with our terminal uniqueness and we need people to be brutally honest with us. And then what we discover with the text that Queen Esther is just kind of dismissing life and she's just not seeing the value in every relationship and who she is and what she brings to life and her family and those around her. And so she learns a line that I hope we all could learn for such a time as this. It means don't miss what's right in front of us. Today is a day that God has given to us, and at this moment, right now, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, there are important things to be done, and we don't even know, but that at this moment, or any moment in our life, when we're doing something healthy and loving and caring, not codependent and working and worrying about the other person's feeling in some unhealthy way, but being genuine in our love and our care, but that that may not be the most important moment in that person's life. Can I have an amen? amen? That comes down to everything. That comes down to a family that you encounter in the grocery store that's struggling with their child. Mordecai says to her again in verse 14, who knows, Esther? With you for such a time as this. This may be your day, Esther. This relationship with the king and with your people and what you're doing today may be the most important thing. Mordecai's line is one of the most powerful in all of Scripture. You and I never know how important the moment is that we are living in. We may not save a whole nation. I'm going to go a step further. Guess what? None of you are going to save a whole nation, and neither am I. That's probably not in the cards for any one of us. But the relationships and the things that we do in our life matter. The people we love, the people we pray for, the people we care, the people we reach out to, the people we help, the forgiveness that we offer is essential. 
I learned recently that a hug that lasts 20 seconds is therapeutic. Did any of you know that? Therapeutic. That's an awesome thing to know. So in the Cushing family, we started having fun with that, and we started teasing with it a little bit, and Regina would say, I need my 20-minute hug, or 20-minute, yeah. (laughs) She does say the 20-minute hug, but I do well with 20 seconds. 20-second hug. Todd, who's my huggy child, who literally can hug you for 20 or 30 minutes, says, I love that idea, 20-second hug. So yesterday was an emotional day in the Cushing household because every time our son Todd goes back to college, we always do the same thing. We give him a hug, shed some tears, we have a prayer. Same thing we learned to do. It came from Regina's mother. Every time we drop the kids off at school, we try to have a prayer with them or when they leave in the morning, have a prayer. And we carried that into when the kids would go back to college. And yesterday, we came to the realization our son was moving out permanently. Has his apartment already. The lease is all signed, and he becomes an Ohio resident. And so, as it was time for us to say goodbye to Todd, Regina and Todd and I, realizing for such a time as this, this moment matters. Every moment matters. We stood in the kitchen, and we embraced And we counted to 20 very slowly, and we had a prayer. Now, it's easy, I guess, in some ways, when our kids are moving out permanently to realize the value of the moment, but moments are like that. Your family and friends are precious. The gifts in your life are the gifts in your life. If we start understanding the terminal uniqueness is literally killing us spiritually, that we need that brutal honesty so we have healthy relationships and then can start valuing the moments we have, we start living healthy relationships for such a time as this. And that's why the last thing that comes in Esther's life is she moved some self-centeredness to valued relationships from living in the castle thinking I have no responsibility for the people in my life to realizing that she is a person who can love and can be loved and the things that she do, does are important. She exhibits faith. Remember in the book of the Bible where God isn't mentioned, faith is right there center. Because we're told in verse 15 that she's told to reply to Mordecai, and these are her words, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. Don't eat or drink anything for three days, night and day. I and the young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Esther requested fasting, and she herself fasted. So for three days, she knows what's going to get her prepared to make a difference in her life. She knows what she needs to do to boldly confront a problem in her life, to fix something in a relationship, and to be able to say some words to her husband that she needs to be able to say, and to reveal, hey, guess what? There's an order to kill all the Jews. I'm Jewish. We need to do something about this. So she is able to do something, but she needs her family and friends to pray with her. She says, I can't do this alone. You see, self-centered Esther was now a lion and the conquering queen. 
And it raises a question in our life when we have struggles in relationships or things that we are afraid to confront. What strengthens your faith? What works for you? Do it. Do it. What do you need to do? Do you need to gather the troops and have people come together and pray with you? Do you need to go and sit alone in the park and meditate and read the scriptures? What is it that we need to do? Because in our life, in order for us to be the people that God wants us to be with the healthy relationships that God wants us to have, it is absolutely essential that we are spiritually ready to face the situations in our life. When people come to me with a problem, most of the time it's a relational problem, and usually I say the same thing. Do you want to rant or do you want to be effective? Because if you want to rant and tell me everything wrong with the other person, I'm here to listen. I'll start the timer. Ten minutes. When it's over, we'll talk about something else. But if we'd like to live by faith and have a prayer and do something, I'm more than willing to work with you. That's what Esther learned in her life. She didn't just want to rant. She didn't just want to complain. She just didn't want to talk about being better than or, oh, how tough it was for her and nobody else understood what it was like to be a Jew married to somebody who didn't know that she was Jew. She was done with all of that and she wanted faith and effectiveness. And folks, that's what I pray for our marriages and for our families and for our relationships. That we can move from all of that stuff in our life that becomes self-centered and self-seeking and makes it all about ourselves and forgets that we can have healthy relationships and we can start becoming like Esther because she does not start as a perfect woman and she doesn't end as a perfect woman, but she starts as a woman who has all of her fears and insecurities and thoughts of being different and thoughts that nobody understands me and moves into a woman who makes a difference. And that's what we want to do in our lives. I'd like to, at this point, invite Alona up, because I'm always aware that every single one of us has times in our life in which there are things that we need to deal with, and a lot of times they do come around relationships, and days like this can certainly evoke it, and so I invite you to talk to our congregation about perhaps having some time of prayer. Just as the scripture said, she was a woman, Esther and it was through faith. But then we go back and we remember the scripture that faith without works is dead. What brings us to this point and this time to reflect on what was shared, what was spoken, and more importantly, what stirred within our souls and our hearts today. As we take this time just to collectively let the words wash and flow over us and through us, take a moment just to still yourself and listen to your heart. We here at Faith Community Church, we believe that there, there is such, such love when we have the opportunity just to come to him in prayer. Faith in our marriage, in our relationships, being parents, 
being children, siblings, co-workers, As we begin to go to our closing song, we welcome all of those to come forward, to come and just to pray here at the altar, just to release it and to give it over, give it over to Christ. For he gave so much to us when he gave up his life as the perfect sacrifice for us and if there was for some of us and I, I feel it so strongly I, I, for us who are present here today if Christ was calling you and you said yes I am opening up my heart to you please come in or yes I need to rededicate my life I have been moving slowly over to one side and I need to come back to center which is putting you at the center of my life we welcome you to come forward so that we can pray with you